All right. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, it's really lovely to be able to uh, to share with you for a few moments this morning. We're in the book of Acts, and uh, we've made it up to chapter six, and uh, we're going to look at the first seven verses of Acts chapter six, and we're seeing that the the church is growing, um, but as the church grows. There, there are some, uh, some, some challenges, some difficulties that come along, and we're going to look at how the, the church responds to them uh, in the next few, next few minutes. And so it might seem strange that there are problems as the church grows. I, instinctively, we think there are problems when the church shr- shrinks. Well, well, that's a different set of problems. But there's a, there's a, there's a problem here as the, as the church begins to grow, and as it grows... There's some changes that need to take place um, within that church. And, and we know that in, uh, in life in general, that as things grow, they start to change. So we know as uh, maybe you've seen it in, in like a small company, somebody sets out uh, on, on their own in business, becomes self-employed. They're good at what they do. It starts to take some momentum. They devote themselves to it, put in the hours. Then they take on somebody extra to help. And then they take on somebody else, and then this kind of grows to sort of five, six, seven employees. Um, but the, the, the nature of how they operate starts to change. It can't operate exactly the same as when it's just a, a one-man band. It, it starts to develop and change. Or, or as, a, as a family grows, as, a, as, as children arrive in the family, so the way that that family operates has to reflect that there's, there's more people involved there's uh, some dependence there, and, and how, you, how you work starts to change a little bit. I, I, I can remember just about uh, life before children. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and Heather and I were, were married. We lived in a, in a nice flat at Cape and Ray. Uh, we lived actually above the kitchen, which was brilliant. Because the kitchen was working uh, 365 days a year, our flat was always warm which was lovely, particularly in winter. And, uh, and, and it was a, just a, a lovely flat to live in. To kind of illustrate what life was like there, we had a, we had a pot stand in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> you know all the sort of thing, it's a, it's a stand for pots. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we did something outrageous. You know the sort of thing, like the biggest pots on the bottom, then the next biggest, next biggest. And we put it on the floor. Put it on the floor in the kitchen. Can you believe it? And uh, we'd come along to, to, to make a meal. I say we. We'd come along to make a, to make a meal. Some culinary delight is about to happen. And we'd reach down, and the pot would be there, clean from where it, it was exactly where we'd left it. Brilliant time. We had a car. It was a Vauxhall Astra, lovely car. Big boot that you could put cases in it. And sometimes you went on holiday, I remember there was a time where we had a couple of days annual leave to take before the end of the year, and we, we went to Durham. Went to Durham for the weekend. Imagine. Incredible times. In his grace and favor and, uh, and kindness, uh, God brought children into our lives, in which we're very thankful. And, and, and the way that we operated as a family had to change. We, we moved into a, into a bigger house that was kind of more suitable, again, by God's grace. Um, the, the, the days of the pot stand on the floor were over. 
And now careful thought had to be placed into exactly where things were left in the kitchen. Even the counter isn't safe. The Astra has been replaced by a rather fetching, say, Alhambra, although there is still no boot in it, really. And life changes, and the way that we operate as a family has changed because we got bigger. And that's what we're going to look at here in, uh, in Acts chapter 6, that the way that the family operates changes as it gets a little bit bigger. The church is growing, and we uh, pick up the story in Acts chapter 6, and I'll read the first seven verses. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, there's a couple of names here, and as I've been practicing them in the week, I've got them wrong every time. So I'll just put that out there just to begin. They chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert from Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Here's what we're going to do for the next few moments. We're going to see, look at what the problem is, how the church respond, and then we'll finish with a, perhaps a couple of things that we might think about going forward. So what's the problem? Verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. What I want us to do just for a minute or two is just to, to live in the text. Before we jump out to see what's happening, just to, to be here, to, to, to live in it, to get a feel for what's happening. So that there are two groups of people that are mentioned here, the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. But the most important thing to recognize is they're both part of the church. They're different, as we'll see in a minute, but they, they belong to Jesus. They're part of the family of God. They're, they're, they're part of the fellowship. So primarily and most importantly, they're, they're Christians. They're part of this church. But the church is beginning to experience what it is like to have people who belong to it, people who are part of the body, but who are from different worlds. People who are, who, who are not the same, who, who, who didn't kind of grow up in exactly the same way. And that trajectory is going to keep coming because in a few chapters' time, we're going to get Samaritans and we're going to get Gentiles and it, that diversity will spread. But, but people here are, are, are belonging, but not quite the same. So the, the Hebraic Jews, who were in all likelihood the majority, are those who were local, those who were from in and around Jerusalem, around Judea. They would have spoken Aramaic. 
they're, they're, they're familiar and, and steeped in Jewish culture. The Hellenistic Jews, on the other hand, were, were those scattered further afield. They would have spoken primarily Greek. And they uh, were from different, kind of different parts of the world and sort of embraced, to an extent, Greek culture. So there are differences in language, differences in geography, differences in cultural outlook. And we think that, that, that a number of Hellenistic Jews would come back to Jerusalem towards the end of their life to, to be buried in or near Jerusalem. So there's a good chance that there are a number of, of Hellenistic Jews who are widows or widowers as part of the fellowship. And so just as a really gross, horrible oversimplification, there's, there's people who are very similar but also quite different. And they're part of the one body. And probably the Hellenistic Jews looked at the Hebraic Jews and thought of them as a bit traditional, kind of maybe, maybe a bit uh, kind of steeped in the old ways. And the, and the Hebraic Jews look at the Hellenistic Jews and think of them as sort of unspiritual Greek compromisers, those who embrace culture a bit too much. There's nothing new under the sun, <laughs> they're very similar but they're very different. And these two groups are operating in the same fellowship. So what's, what's the problem? What's happening? There's this complaint. There's a problem. The complaint is from the Hellenistic Jews who are saying their widows have been overlooked in the distribution of foods. So what, what's that about? Again, just before we rush to what's happening, let's, let's just live in it for a moment or two. We've seen a few weeks ago that there's this incredible generosity within the church. As people who have come to faith in Jesus, who've responded to him, who've been filled with his spirit, have got this generous heart and are selling their houses and bringing the money and laying it at the feet of the apostles. We read that and we just kind of rush past it. They're selling their house, they're bringing the money and they're giving it to the church. They're selling land and giving the money to the church. So if, you want, if you're taking notes, Acts 4 34, uh, Acts 4.37 as well, Barnabas does something similar. So there's incredible generosity. And, and, and then if, if, if the money's been laid at the apostles' feet, then it's presumably their responsibility to make sure that gets to the right people. And some people have been overlooked. Something's going wrong. And, and the complaint has the, the, the sense, the feel about it, um, of murmuring. So the, the verb used here, the, the related verb in the Old Testament, is the same one used when the Israelites grumble against Moses. So it's a complaint expressed through murmuring. It's this, this murmuring in, in and around what's going on in the fellowship. I wonder if you can picture the scene. I wonder if you can, can just be in there. There's, there's people who are very similar but quite different. There's something that's happening that's wrong. Some people have been overlooked and there's, there's, there's murmurings. There's murmurings around. There's no hint in the text that this, this overlooking is deliberate. I think if people have been overlooked deliberately, the response might have been a little bit different. There would have been a, a, that would be need to be confronted. That's, a, that's a, problem, a different problem. I think what's happening here is it's just a, an administrative problem. You see, the, the, uh, 
the, the apostles themselves were Hebraic Jews. They, they know that world. They live in that world. They see those problems. That, that's what they're familiar with. And, and it seems as though they're missing those perhaps on the outside. It's, it's an administrative issue. And, and, and just, just to kind of get a sense of it, let's put some numbers in there. In Acts 1, we've got 120 in the upper room. At Pentecost, we've got 3,000. A little bit later, we've got 5,000. The church is increasing and growing rapidly, it says. So what are we now? 8,000, 10,000, 12,000? How many apostles are there at this point? There's the 12. This is, this is a big job. This is a big job. So, t- so 12 people operating with a, a crowd of that sort of size, it, it, it's, a, it's a problem. And, and, and here's the big idea, I think, here. Satan loves to take an unintentional wrong and use it to cause division and conflict. How many times have we seen it? How many times have we seen it where, where it, an unintentional wrong, a wrong, absolutely, but unintentionally caused division and conflict within the body? My, my professor at university had this saying, uh, I think I might have mentioned it before, but he would say, uh, offense is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, you know, the, the saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And he would say, often, offense is in the eye of the beholder. Not always, but, but not, not all that often does somebody go out to offend us. It, and, and, and so what do we do when we have been offended, where there is a problem, it, the problem's real, how do we resolve it? What do we do about it? Well, what we don't do about it is murmur. We just can't. We can't let unintentional wrong start ripping us apart. We just can't. We mustn't. We mustn't. We mustn't do that. We, we must either address it personally or let it go and here there's there's something needs to be addressed so let's look at that that's the problem how was it resolved verse 2 so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables brothers and sisters choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom we'll turn this responsibility over to them And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So there's real humility here as the the early church looked to to solve this problem. There's a willingness to explore it. What's going to go on? So so let's kind of clear up what the 12 mean as they're talking about this. Because as we read it, it can seem like we need to be concentrating on preaching. Can somebody else clear these tables, please? That, that, that's the feel, that's how it, how it reads if we're, if we're not careful. But, but the words that they use for ministry, so ministry of the word in verse 2 and verse 4, is the same word that's used for waiting on tables. It's the same, same Greek word, it's, it's about service. The same way that we serve the church by preaching, we need, we need those to look after by serving the church by waiting on tables. And, and, and just so we have it in our minds, when we think of waiting on tables, we think of a restaurant-style thing where, you know, you, somebody comes in and you, somebody's wiped the tables down and cleaned it and set it up, 
and then they sit down and they take the order and then they bring them over another coffee and then they try not to spill and then they clean everything up. That's what we think of with waiting on tables. But I'm not sure that's entirely what this is about. That, that's how culturally we eat like that. But, but that's, I don't think that's necessarily all of the story here. Tables. Remember when Jesus goes into the temple and he turns the tables of the money changers. A table is where the money changers sit. It's where they count the money. It's where they organize. It's where they allocate it. Where they, how, how they distribute it. So what, what the church are looking for here is, is people to take care of that responsibility. So, so let's put some figures in. Let's say somebody sold a house. Now, I know that there's lots of variation what that can mean. I'm making this up. 200,000. Okay, so somebody has sold 200,000. They bring it and they put it at the apostles' feet. They then have the responsibility to distribute that to the needy, to the, to the vulnerable, to the poor of a community of, let's say, conservatively, 8,000 people. That is, a, that is some task. <laughs> that, is a bit, that, that is some work that is, is ahead of them. And so no wonder they need people to come in and take it. They need people to come and help. For what it's worth, I, I would suspect it might have been a tough decision for the, uh, for the apostles to, 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 to delegate this in one sense. They've lived with Jesus, they've served with him, they've seen how he treats the poor, the vulnerable, how his heart is for the, the marginalized. Remember uh, Peter, let's take him as an example. Remember Peter, he, he, he disowns Jesus three times. And then after his resurrection, Jesus meets with Peter uh, by the seashore as they have fish for breakfast. And what, what does he say th three times to Peter? Do you love me? You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And I wonder if it was hard for Peter to let go of this. Now, Peter's got a really important job feeding the sheep, but it's going to be, he can't do, he can't feed kind of, from the word as it were, and lead and, and do this huge responsibility as well. So um, my suspicion is it might have been tough for him to let that, that go. Because as we, Acts 5, verse 42, this is what the apostles were doing. Just the verse before where we started. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So that's what Peter's doing. He's preaching publicly. He's house to house, coming alongside people, relationally, discipling, showing, teaching. He's, he's got his work cut out for that. And there's a, something really um, healthy and important about uh, uh, releasing other people to come and do this very important and significant pastoral work within the church. It's interesting, isn't it, that the qualifications for these seven who will take this role, who were chosen, were those who were full of the Spirit and wisdom. This is a big role that they've been released to. It's people who need to be competent to handle large sums of money and caring for the very vulnerable, the very weakest in the community. That is, that, that is quite incredible, isn't it? To find, in this case, to find men of character, 
men who are filled with the Spirit of God and men of character, trustworthy men who can handle big sums of money, so integrity, and look after the most vulnerable. There's no wonder the church started to grow when there's these sort of um, people taking that sort of responsibility. Those who were chosen, those names I struggled with before, they're, they're all Greek names, which, which probably hints towards a good number of them at least being from uh, that Hellenistic group. And there, as, the, as the church comes together to look at this problem, they're serious about unity. They're serious about humility. They're serious about solving the problem. And they're serious about working in teams. And the people they release are, are, are full of the Holy Spirit. In, in fact, Stephen, well, he's the one that we hear most about going forward. Everything you read about Stephen is full. Full of the Holy Spirit. You read he's full of faith. He's full of wisdom. He's full. And he's ready to serve in this way. As we, as we draw towards a close, what, what can we take from this this morning? Uh, hopefully, as we open God's word and explore it together, God by his spirit is applying things to our hearts. But, but a couple of things we might, we might want to mention. First of all, change within church is inevitable. Change within church is inevitable. We're only at Acts chapter 6 here, and we're already seeing the way the church operates. Obviously, there's, the gospel is unchanging. <laughs> Not saying that the gospel is, or the news about Jesus is changing, but the way the church practically operates is changing. And it will go on to change because persecution is about to hit in Acts, and the way that church operates will change again as they, as they spread out. And, uh, and, and, and the way that they operate will, will be different. But it changes here. And change isn't easy. Change, change isn't easy. Well, th there might be a, a, a number of folks who find change sort of energizing. And, 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 but they're usually the people who are making the change. <laughs> and that, that's not a criticism. That's a good thing. But change isn't easy. But it, but it is an ongoing process. And as the family grows, then changes, it will change how it operates. And if, if you've been part of the fellowship here for a good number of years, you'll have seen changes along the way. And I appreciate that that's not always easy. And we appreciate your, your, your input, your, the, the, the stability and heritage that you bring to this fellowship. Just as, a, as, as children change the, fel the, the structure and culture of a family, so churches change. And then secondly, uh, organization is important in a church. It's not a, it's not a particularly uh, dynamic statement, that. But it is important. Organization is important in a church. The last verse which we read. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, what I'm saying here is not that organized churches grow. There's only one way in which, God, which, which people come to faith and that is 
through Jesus. Jesus does the work. It's, it's all about him. There's only one way in which we are, who are spiritually dead can become spiritually alive, and that is the grace of the Lord Jesus. So it's not, it's not a, a means to an end. Nevertheless, the, the way that we operate as a fellowship, the organization, is important. There's nothing unspiritual about organization. Organization, organizing is working hard for the benefit and 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 flourishing of others. And there's lots of people in this fellowship who work hard at organization. Not, not just the leadership teams, though they do, but those who run connect groups, who, who listen to the message again and, and go through the questions and find a way that they think might, might, might suit the group that they, that they lead. And then the way they throw that out because there's a pressing prayer need and, 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 and gather the group around to pray. That, that sort of organization is serving us as a fellowship. The, the way that we organize the, the rotors for, for creche or for children or for youth. Or the way that things are organized for grief share or divorce care or any of the sort of caring ministries that are around. It, it, it's, the, it's the organization behind the scenes which is for the benefit of those who attend. And I just want to, to say, as, as, we, as we kind of round up, I just want to say a massive thank you to those who are organizing things behind the scenes. Those who take responsibility, those who carve out time in their week to serve us as a fellowship and us as a community. I, I want to, to recognize the, 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 the work that goes in and, and say, on behalf of us as a church, we appreciate that. We appreciate those who, who, who are there early setting up the sound at the back. You know, it, it, it's these things that are so important. And again, it, it, it's, it's, having, uh, it's having that responsibility that we can be those of character who can handle whatever it is, large sums of money or caring for those who are forgotten. And what strikes me is, and, and I mean it this time as we close, is that this, it's now that Luke tells us that the priests start coming to faith. Now, as Jesus has walked through the planet, on the planet, it's, uh, it's the priests and those of that religious group who have often been in opposition to him. It's the high priests who have really driven to have Jesus crucified. And, and they've heard the apostles speak in the temple as they've been preaching day after day. They'll have heard about the where they've defended themselves in the Sanhedrin, which they've done twice up to this moment. But I wonder if it's significant that it's now we read that they start to become followers of Jesus. We think there's about 8,000 priests who would have been connected to serving in the temple. We hear that, uh, that good numbers of them here start coming to faith. And I wonder if it's that they've heard it and now they're seeing it. They've heard the good news, and now they're seeing it lived out. And they think, this is real. This is real. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. Let's, uh, let me ask those who are leading us in worship if they'll take their places uh, behind us, because we'll sing to close. But as they do that, we're going to pray. And... Uh,
Is there anything in, in the things that we've been, been looking at? Maybe things we've been praying for this morning. Maybe things that we were singing about. Maybe things we've been exploring just in the last few moments. Is there anything that, that just is standing out to us? Is there anything that is, that maybe God in his grace is, is prompting us with? And if there is, is there anything we need to respond to? And, and, if, and if that's the case, can I encourage you to, to, to decide now if, if that's a, a conversation or, or, or a prayer or just some time that you want to think, yeah, I, I need to, to ponder that a little bit more. A conversation perhaps I need to have. Lord, just give us the, the grace to, uh, to, to follow through with that in the gentle and powerful way you operate. Father, we thank you that your church is growing. That across the world, there are more now who follow you than, than at any other time. And Father, we pray that, that individually, Lord, that you'll show us our part to play. Lord, we want to be those of character. We want to be full of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We ask you'll fill us afresh with your Spirit. We want to be those who are full of faith, full of wisdom. Lord, if it's the big things that you're calling us to at the moment, to handle large projects or pressures, we ask for your grace and wisdom that would be those of integrity and character. If it's looking out for the, the forgotten, then pray, Lord, you'll give us eyes to see. And Father, may we uh, honour one another, that we may truly be a, a body. Lord, that we may be those who, who live well, who love well, who forgive well, who move on well, who support each other well, who delight in each other, who carry one another's burdens. For your glory, for your honour. 